0: Good morning, my name is Micah. Welcome to Northfield Christian Fellowship. Pray with me. Jesus, to you we do lift our eyes, and you, our God, are holy. You call us to be holy because you are holy. Father, that is difficult. We live in an unholy world, and our own nature is to be self-righteous. Lord, give us holiness in that we seek to be true to your word and your standards of how to live, in that we seek to love as you love. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Almost 50 years ago, an athlete named Bruce Jenner became probably the most well-known star of the Summer Olympic Games in Montreal back in 1976. For years, the Soviet Union, they had dominated the Olympic Games because they sent their state-sponsored professional athletes to compete, while America and much of the world at that time only sent their amateur athletes. But during this Olympics, the amateur athlete from New York would succeed in not only embarrassing the Soviets, but also setting a new world record in the decathlon. Jenner became an instant American hero. He had been a, a football and a baseball star in his high school days, and now he was an Olympic gold medalist. He became a spokesman for Wheaties, and his picture was plastered on every Wheaties cereal box. I remember that even in years later, Bruce Jenner's uh, picture was still all over Wheaties boxes. He later became a race car driver and a Hollywood celebrity. Bruce Jenner was a man among men. Right up until 2015, when during an exclusive interview with Diane Sawyer, Jenner claimed that he had been living with a deep secret for most of his life and that he believed he was really a woman. A couple months later, Jenner appeared on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine wearing women's lingerie with the caption on the magazine saying, Call me Caitlyn. Bruce Jenner was no more, and now Caitlyn Jenner had arrived. And the transgender movement finally had a hero that would catapult it into the biggest social justice issue of our last decade. A new freedom was given to the world. You can be whatever you want to be. Men can be women. Women can be men. If you don't want to feel so constrained, you can identify as whatever you feel like. Male, female, transgender, Gender neutral, non-binary, agender, pangender, genderqueer, two-spirit, third gender, the list goes on. In fact, if you desire to change your gender on your Facebook profile, you're going to have over 70 options to choose from today. Not to mention your pronoun choices. He, him, she, her, they, them, ze, zer, v them, and many more. For those of us parents and grandparents, the magnitude of this transgender movement is hard for us to grasp because we grew up in an era where transgender was considered not just to be immoral, but but weird. It's not something we could relate to. But for our children, for those in high school and college, they're coming of age in an era where transgender is promoted as being cool. Cool. It's creative, thoughtful, open-minded. It's encouraged everywhere they turn. TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. Social media is full of people promoting transgenderism. Some of these influencers are documenting their own gender transition. And for kids confused about their gender identity, they can find glitter families on social media. Groups of transgender activists telling them, your mom and your dad, they don't understand you, but we understand you. We're your family now. Social media, sports, news, it doesn't matter where you turn, the transgender movement is in your face today. And because of this, the statistics are staggering. Historically, one out of 10,000 people have considered themselves transgender. In other words, one out of 10,000 people up until recently have felt like their gender doesn't match their their biological sex. Today, that number is one out of 20. 7% of the U.S. population today identifies as LGBT. And a huge chunk of that is the T in LGBT, which is transgender. When we break it down by age, 4% of those 40 years old and older identify as LGBT. For those in their 30s, the number more than doubles to 10%. And for those in their teens and in their 20s, the number more than doubles again to 21%. 21% of our young people now identify as LGBT. Because it's promoted, sold, advertised, encouraged. Everywhere they turn, they hear the lie that your problems will be solved by transitioning your body into who you really are. I'm not bringing this stuff up today for the, the sake of the sermon to stir up frustration. I'm preaching on this issue today because one, it's an issue we cannot avoid. It's all around us. It's here in Tremont. And two, As Christians, I want for us to consider how we're to handle this issue. My goal today is not to promote an us versus them mentality. My goal is to leave us here today with biblical conviction and with godly compassion. But first, how do we get here? How do we as a society get here? How do we go from a society that for hundreds of years insisted on only two genders... And on only one way to enjoy sex within a heterosexual marriage. How do we go from that to a society where anything goes? Sleep with whoever you want and identify as whatever you want. The answer is simple. Our society has rejected God. God is either irrelevant or he's non-existent in our culture today. And even where there is knowledge of the Bible, it's sorely lacking. Regardless of whether or not we like it, the fact is we live in a post-Christian society where there is little to no Christian influence on our culture. The most influential arenas, academia, media, entertainment, sports, government, they're not influenced by Christianity. The absolute truth of God's word has been replaced by relative truth. Absolute truth includes an objective set of morals such as the Ten Commandments. Relative truth insists there are no absolutes. Therefore, there is no one right way to live. What's right for you may not be right for me, and what's right for me may not be right for you. When a society rejects God, the inevitable replacement for God becomes the individual. You become the ultimate authority. So when you consider the question of who has the authority to tell me what is right and what is wrong, the Christian answer is God does. But our society's answer is I do. I'm the authority. I decide what will bring me the most happiness and fulfillment, not God. God told the prophet Isaiah, I, the Lord, speak truth. I declare what is right. But in a post-Christian society, the authority to declare what is true and what is right is stripped from our creator and assumed by the very people God created. Self is now the ultimate authority. This God-denying, self-promoting view of authority has led to a radical form of individualism that we now live in today. How dare anybody tell me I'm wrong? In fact, the only sin in our culture today is to call anything a sin. What I find interesting in our society today where God is rejected and self is promoted is that we are nevertheless a spiritual society. We see the brokenness of the physical world all around us, and people come to a Gnostic type of conclusion that a person's self-awareness is where true good is found. So in other words, your body might be wrong, but your mind is good. You can trust your mind. When it comes to the transgender movement, this self-focused spirituality encourages the thinking that if my body is the wrong gender, my good mind can choose to alter my body. After all, I'm the authority who decides what is best for me, not God. Combine this with all the other influences in a person's life. their teachers, doctors, counselors, social media, uh, influencers, all telling them that if you feel your body is wrong, then it is wrong. And all your problems will be solved by pursuing the gender you believe yourself to be. And you end up with kids convinced that the best solution is to alter their body. And the results are heartbreaking Here's one example. Chloe Cole is a young gal from California. Chloe grew up having a tough childhood. In grade school, she was bigger and stronger than the other girls, and she was a tomboy. She didn't care about painting her nails. She'd rather play sports with the boys. She was molested when she was young, which further made her angry at being a girl. When Chloe was 12, she was diagnosed with gender dysphoria, so she started to transition into a boy. At age 13, she started taking puberty blockers. At age 15, she had a double mastectomy. That, along with other surgeries, left her feeling not like a man, but rather more confused than ever. She now is still a woman, but a disfigured woman, surgically altered to look like a man. She quickly came to regret her decision as she continued to age. And so she started to detransition from a man back into a woman. Today, Chloe is 18 years old, and she's very much the gender God created her to be. But she's permanently scarred. She has a deep voice from taking testosterone. She may never be able to have children because the male hormones that she took can kill the ovaries. If she does end up bearing children, she won't be able to breastfeed because her mammary glands were removed. This poor girl was just a child, but all those around her, her doctors, her counselors, they all convinced her that her problems would be solved if she transitioned into a man. Today, Chloe is an outspoken critic, and opponent of the transgender movement because she has experienced the tragic results firsthand. Like Chloe, the majority of those who identify as LGBT, they've suffered from emotional and mental problems prior to identifying as LGBT. Problems such as depression, Anxiety, eating disorders. Many have experienced abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. A disproportionate amount of the transgender community are autistic because one of the characteristics of an autistic person is that they do not feel comfortable in their own skin. Once a person goes down the road to identifying as transgender, the initial relief is often followed by a huge increase in depression, substance abuse, even homelessness. Do you know 40% of the homeless community identifies as LGBT? And the suicide rate is beyond tragic. The overall suicide rate for the U.S. population is 0.5%. That's half a percent. For the homosexual community, the attempted suicide rate is nearly 12 percent. For the transgender community, the attempted suicide rate is 25 percent. One in four people who identify as transgender are so full of despair that they attempt to end their life, they're depressed. They're angry, confused, and they're living in a world that encourages them to be transgender, yet offers them no hope when they've gone down that road and find themselves empty. These people are hurting. So what is our response to be as Christians? How do we respond to the LGBT community, but also to our society as a whole that encourages it? In order to deal with this issue, we must go into it with firm biblical conviction. In the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis 1, when God created mankind, it says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created every single human being on the planet in his image image. He didn't create the galaxies in his image. He didn't create the oceans in his image. He didn't create the monkeys in his image. He created human beings in his image, which means he created you in his image. He created your neighbor in his image. He created those who identify as transgender in his image. The transgender community is not some fringe type of person that God made a mistake with, which is what many of them are convinced of. Many of them have come to believe that their body is a mistake. They were born with the wrong parts, and so they're, because their body is a mistake, it's their right to live out their true identity. God does not make mistakes. He has made every single individual in His image. Exactly as planned. David praised God for this in Psalm 139, saying, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God does not make mistakes. A person can argue, yeah, but what about the fall? We live in a broken world because of sin. Isn't it possible that our genders might be broken too? Yes, absolutely. Because we live in a broken world, we all have broken bodies in many ways. Some of us have diseases, some of us have physical impairments. Some people, a minuscule percentage of the human population, are born with both male and female anatomy. But we are all born with either an XX chromosome or an XY chromosome. In other words, God designed us in our mother's womb as either male or female. And when he designed us, we were fearfully and wonderfully made. When Adam and Eve sinned, The issue was not whether or not Adam was a man and Eve was a woman. The issue was that Adam would now struggle to live as a man and Eve would now struggle to live as a woman. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Bible gives two categories for gender. Male and female. And God gave them distinct characteristics and roles, which is why God forbids them from dressing as the opposite sex. In the book of Deuteronomy, one of God's laws for his people, is: it says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. God did not say, A woman shall not wear a man's garment unless she determines that she's a man. God said, whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. His words are absolute because his authority is absolute. He made us. He made us man and woman, two distinct genders. And because he knows what's best for us, he gives us guidelines for how to stay within our genders. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul makes a distinction between man and woman, when he says a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. In the book of Proverbs, the distinctness of a woman is exalted. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Two distinct genders, male and female, both positively mentioned in God's word. As Christians, we're to hold fast to God's claim that he is the ultimate authority. He decides what is right and wrong, that he created us in his image, male and female. And he intends for us to live out our God-given roles, our God-given gender, in the the manner that he prescribes. But we're not called to go beyond that. For example, much of what defines a man and a woman in our society today, it does not come from God's Word. It comes from culture. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that a man shall watch football, eat beef jerky, shoot guns, and drink beer. And nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that a woman shall color her hair and wear heels and go shopping and drink rosé. These are cultural stereotypes, not biblical descriptions of a man and a woman. So when a woman wants to hunt and work on her car, she is still absolutely a woman according to God's word. And when a man wants to shop for just the right outfit and make sure his nails are just right, he is still absolutely a man according to God's word. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. While God has deliberately and flawlessly created two distinct genders, God has only given one category for sexual union. It's to be heterosexual within the confines of marriage. Anything outside of that is sin. Shortly after he created man and woman, the book of Genesis says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The book of Hebrews tells us, let the marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Any sexual union outside of marriage is sin. And any sexual union outside other than a man and a woman is sin. The Bible forbids homosexuality in both the Old and New Testaments. Twice the book of Leviticus forbids it. In the New Testament book of Romans, when Paul described people who reject his authority... He wrote, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing the uh, shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul gets more specific in the book of First Corinthians. He writes, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Notice that Paul isn't just picking on homosexuality. He's calling out all forms of sexual sin, along with a bunch of non-sexual sins in these passages. But when Paul does call out homosexuality in this 1 Corinthians passage, he uses two words in the Greek. One to describe the passive partner, one to describe the active partner, In other words, Paul leaves no uncertainty that homosexuality is wrong. The reason I bring up the homosexual issue is because, one, they're very intertwined with the transgender movement. Both of them identify as part of the LGBT community. But two because many of the people who identify as transgender, they either started out as homosexual or end up practicing homosexuality because of the new gender with which they now identify. So the transgender person who rejects their God-given gender They're not just enslaved in the sin of denying God's authority and design for their bodies, but they're also often already enslaved or soon to be enslaved in the sin of homosexuality. As Christians, you and I are called to be holy, set apart. Too often, God's people are more concerned about offending our culture than we are about offending our God. Many churches have taken the watered-down position of don't judge, just love them. And for Christians struggling with how to handle this issue, that just leaves them feeling guilty for having convictions that are biblical. So I want to encourage you today, don't compromise your convictions. Hold fast to God's word. Be willing to call sin, sin. As Christians, we must respond to the transgender movement the way we respond to any sin with clear biblical conviction. We must also respond with godly compassion. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He said this at the end of his ministry. After coming out of the most legalistic, self-righteous, rigorous training as a Pharisee, he was a good person. And after spreading the gospel throughout parts of Asia and Europe and interacting with all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of different beliefs and all sorts of sinful practices, it would have made sense for Paul at the end of his life to say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even those who are worse than me. But that's not what Paul said. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul had the compassion to spread the gospel to all people in all places that all have sinned in that Jesus came to save us from our sin. And he had the compassion, in his compassion, he had the humility to realize that of all the sinners that he ministered to, the liars, the thieves, the violent, the demon-possessed, the prostitutes, the sexually immoral. Among all these people that Paul ministered to, Paul considered himself to be the worst. It's easy for me to be compassionate toward those whose sins I can relate to. Are you quick to anger? I can relate. I have compassion. Is your lust toward the opposite sex? I can relate. I have compassion. It's more difficult to have compassion toward those whose sins I cannot relate to. Are you addicted to gaming? I cannot relate. Personally, I think it's the biggest waste of time. I have no compassion. Are you transgender? That too I cannot relate to. So it's harder to have compassion. But the book of Romans tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when it says all have sinned, that includes me and you. So how can I look down on the sin of others when I too am guilty of sin? Just because our sins might be different, that doesn't make us any better. None of us deserves God's forgiveness Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Those wrestling with or identifying as transgender, they're broken, they're hurting, they're pursuing what they think will bring them happiness. They need compassion. Paul wrote in the book of Colossians, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Peter gave the same message in his first epistle. He wrote, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. As so We won't be a light to those who are hurting if we don't have compassion. <clears throat> As Christians, we must have both conviction and compassion. Conviction without compassion leads to self righteousness, anger, hypocrisy, us versus them. Compassion without conviction leads to compromising God's word, compromising his authority, condoning sin, empty kindness. We must have both conviction and compassion. That's why the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. We need biblical conviction to speak the truth. And we need godly compassion in order to show love. For those of you in here who might be wrestling with your gender, or for those of you who know somebody who identifies as transgender. I want you to know that the feelings of gender dysphoria are not sinful. Just because a person feels like they're the opposite gender, that is not a sin. It's the result of us living in a broken world. When Adam and Eve sinned, the immediate result was shame. They both felt ashamed and they both felt awkward about their bodies. They no longer felt comfortable in their own skin. The first thing they did was cover their bodies. And ever since then, none of us has ever felt fully comfortable in our own bodies. I have arms the size of toothpicks. When I was in school, I hated the fact that my arms were so scrawny. Women look around at other women and they see what they wish their body looked like. To not feel comfortable in your own body is completely normal. But to act upon it and to deny God's authority and goodness, to deny the fact that he made you in his image, that he made you male or female according to his perfect design, that is sin. The answer is not to become transgender. The answer is to become transformed. Paul wrote in the book of Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When your mind tells you that your body is wrong, we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. In other words, we don't let our thoughts rule us, we rule our thoughts with a, confirm, with, a, with a firm conviction that God is the ultimate authority, not us. And God's word doesn't just tell us how to live. It does so with our joy and fulfillment in mind because our God loves us. He knows what's best for us. Happiness and meaning and hope and enjoyment of the gender that God has given you can only ever come from Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians tells us if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. The transgender movement wants to convince you that your old creation can be fixed with a different set of clothes and some hormone injections and surgery, and all that does is leave a person disfigured and in despair. God offers so much more. He doesn't offer a change of physical appearance. He offers a change of heart, a transformed heart to help you thrive in the body that he deliberately gave you. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, you are holy, and you, Lord, declare what is right. And what you have declared right is indeed good. We thank you that you are a holy God. You're not a vindictive, twisted, self-seeking uh, God. You are holy and perfect, and you love us. That's the wonder of it all, that you love us because we are none of those things. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you sent your son to pay the price for my sin, for all the ways that my twisted way of thinking and living has offended you. You paid for it on the cross. Father, help us to live our lives with conviction and help us also to live with compassion toward those who are hurting, broken, those who need you. We love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. As you leave, go with the conviction of God's authority and also go with the compassion of God's heart.